Children is missed at Junior Church as we go to the message in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. We're continuing our trek uh, through Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis uh, today. And we talk more about sin today. Um, sin. Uh, the late president, Calvin Coolidge, returned home from attending church early one Sunday afternoon. His wife had been unable to attend, but she was interested in what the minister spoke on in the service. Coolidge responded, sin. That's, that's all he said. What did the minister speak on in the service? Sin. She pressed him for a few words of explanation, and being a man of few words, or at least a man of few words with his wife, President Coolidge responded, well, I think he was against it. I think he was against sin. You know, uh, we are in this sermon series of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. We are now on Genesis 5, 3 through 32. We're not going to read all of these verses, um, but I want to focus on a few of them. My theme today is that human beings continue for, from Adam to Noah, but without a Savior. Sin is multiplying, but without a Savior. Now, as, as, as we look at things, we see that Genesis is foundational to our faith. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are significant, foundational to our faith. And, and that's really the point I've been wanting to drive home as we, as we go through these verses, through these passages. But I want to emphasize something else. A mistake is not the same as a sin. We see sins multiply, but a mistake is not the same as a sin. Uh, sometimes mistakes are humorous, and, and we see typos and things like that, and, and they may or may not be a sin. So I was listening to one of my favorite preachers last week, uh, Chuck Swindoll, and he shared a list of bulletin mistakes. And I thought if he can share them in church, so can I. And so, uh, and, and especially since I'm guilty of some of them, including the first prayer chain that went out this morning, um, it's so easy when things are going on to make a mistake. So these are some mistakes that were found in the bulletins, not our bulletin, just so you know. Ladies' Bible study will be held Thursday morning at 10 a.m. All ladies are invited to lunch in the fellowship hall after the BS is done. <laughs> after. The pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sunday. That was in a bulletin, supposedly. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> the eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. <laughs> Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. This is bad. Please use large double door at the site entrance. <laughs> the, associate, the associate minister unveiled the church's new campaign slogan last Sunday. I up my pledge, up yours. <laughs> Maybe that was intentional to gain, to gain attention to the pledge. I don't know. The fasting and prayer conference includes meals. <laughs> the sermon this morning, Jesus walks on water. The sermon tonight, searching for Jesus. <laughs> Don't let worry kill you. 
Wait, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. <laughs> anyways, enough of the sermon, the bulletin bloopers. I've got more. But anyways, mistakes are not the same as sin. And what we see, uh, and I just wanted the excuse to put some of those in there. But uh, mistakes are not the same as sin. And that, that is a true thing that we need to remember. Uh, a mistake is not necessarily something you need to repent of. It's not necessarily something that is sinful. What we see in Genesis 5 is that sin is multiplying. The people are multiplying. And as the people multiply, sin is multiplying. But they are without a savior. And we, you and I, all of us, have never lived in a time without a savior. Now, we may have lived in a time in which we don't know the Savior. But the Savior has actually come, died on the cross for sin, and rose again. There wasn't, the answer has already come, which is Jesus, who is Jesus. As I shared at the service, I found it interesting. You know, we are missionaries everywhere we go. Years and years and years ago, Charlene Easterday was in the hospital for something. Her daughter didn't remember what. It was a long time ago. And while she's in the hospital, she has a roommate. And the roommate invites her to Bethel Friends Church. After that, Charlene and John Easterday came to Bethel Friends Church. They were saved. And as many of you know, they got heavily involved in Bethel Friends Church. We're missionaries everywhere we go. And the world needs a savior Do we realize the world needs a savior? As I've always been convicted to emphasize worldview, we are witnessing an experiment, an experiment of a culture that has a worldview of really anything goes, no grounding, no foundation, and no nothing, no nothing at all. So that in Florida... This past week, they passed a bill. The bill is something to the effect of you cannot talk about LGBTQ issues in in the schools between kindergarten and something like third grade. But they're saying it's a don't say gay bill. That's really not in the bill. It doesn't say that anywhere. And they were interviewing one of the representatives, one of the, one of the politicians, and they were really being really hard on him, saying, don't gay say gay bill. And he, he actually rightfully responded, does it say that? It doesn't say that. We're in a world where we feel like things need to be talked about at such a young age, even in the public schools. And what worldview are we coming from? Years and years and years ago, at Harvard Business School, they decided not to teach ethics. And we're going to teach ethics anymore. They quit teaching ethics because they thought, if we teach ethics, whose ethics are we going to use? Are we going to use Christian ethics? Are we going to use Jewish ethics? They, they thought, we'll just throw up our hands. We're not going to teach ethics. Well, of those people that came out of that Harvard Business School, later became executives in Enron. And they are part of the Enron scandal that happened some 20 years or so ago because of a lack of ethics because of lack of morals, because we're in a culture that increasingly says we don't know which way is up, which way is down, and what worldview is right. So we won't have a worldview at all. There was an interview with an executive, I believe a CEO, of a major movie company last week or the week before, last couple weeks, and they were being criticized for moving a lot of production to Florida, and they ended up donating $5 million 
to a certain interest group over it. And one thing they said is, don't worry, we're moving to Florida, but we get our agenda accomplished in our movies. So there you have it. They're actually saying it. So we need to, and I was convicted to do this. I actually heard somebody else from our church did this with their kids when their kids were little. Great idea. We were watching a movie, and I said, kids, you have I spy. I want you to have worldview spy. As we watch this movie, notice the different worldviews that come through, and we'll talk about them. We're in a culture where sin is multiplying. And sin, you know, we're all sinners, and that's not to say that anybody's perfect. We're just saved, Right? We're in a culture without the worldview, though. Much like in Genesis chapter 5. The difference is, though, our Savior has come. And we need to share the gospel. We need to share about our Savior. We need to share about Jesus. So as we went through Genesis chapter 4, and in Genesis chapter 4, we see the descendants of Cain. We see that Cain's descendants became very corrupt. And now we are in Genesis 5, and the descendants of Adam continue to multiply. And in Genesis 5, they are multiplying through the line of Seth. Let me read the first few verses, actually verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5 read, And when Adam had lived 130 years, he was a young man. He fathered his son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. So Adam is 130 years old, and Seth is born. Now Cain and Abel had already been born. And we know what happened. You know, they had left paradise, and paradise had left them. They had left the Garden of Eden, and as soon as they left the Garden of Eden, you have jealousy and envy and pride and anger and murder and polygamy and all these other things going on. You know, we see corruption multiply. We see sin multiply. And in Genesis 5, we see that continue to happen, and they're in a world without a Savior. We have the Savior. That's why we are here, right? We have the Savior. We need to share the gospel with other people. We need to share about the Savior with other people. We need to share about the answer with other people. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, Peter is answering the question, why hasn't Jesus come again? Why hasn't he made things right? And we may have the same question, right? We may look out every in the, in the, in the morning and think the same thing. We, we read the newspaper and we think, Jesus, when are you going to come again? Jesus, when are you going to make things right? Jesus, when are you going to restore things? And in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, Peter's answer is, the Lord is waiting. He's patient. He's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus wants people to be saved. He wants them to know the Lord. That's why he's waiting. If we are here and we know the Lord, we are part of the Lord's army of evangelists. God has us to share the gospel with other people. And with the gospel, of course, brings a different worldview, a worldview of right and wrong, a worldview of what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what is wrong with the world, how can it be fixed, where is history going? These are all worldview questions that we have answered in the Bible, that we have answered in the scripture. But in Genesis 5, they are in an increasingly, increasingly sinful world, certainly without much of a worldview, and sin is multiplying, and they don't have a savior. They don't have a savior. The savior hasn't come. What is interesting is it seems that, that we do not see the sin that we saw in the previous chapter. We do see by, by the end, which we're going to jump to in a minute, by the end of Genesis 5, we see the evidence that they, were, they, were, they needed a Savior. But in the line of Seth, 
at least at the beginning, we do not see the sin that we saw from the line of Cain. Within the genealogy of Adam's descendants, we do see other signs of the fallen world. The phrase, and he died, is used eight times in Genesis 5. Eight times, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Death is a consequence of the fall. Death is still a consequence of the curse, a consequence of the fallen world. Because of the fall, going all the way back to Genesis 3, we have death. It will not be fixed until the end when God makes all things right. There is an emphasis that because of sin, people are dying. Every one of them but Enoch died. In Genesis 5.24, we see see that Enoch walked with God, and so God took him. One of them, Methuselah, lived 969 years. That's in Genesis 5.25-26. But they all died except for the aforementioned Enoch. Methuselah died too, but get this. Methuselah would have died in the flood written about in Genesis chapter 6. The man that lived the longest died a part of corrupt humanity. We also know that by Genesis 6, humanity was very depraved. I wonder if that was beginning by the time we get to Noah. Noah is named hoping that he will bring relief from their work in the painful toil of their hands. We're going to jump to those verses here in just a moment. The people are living in a world without a savior. As I've emphasized already, we have never lived in a world without a Savior. Some do not know about the Savior, but Jesus has come and saved us from our sins, and we need to share that with other people. We need to share about the Savior. We see in our world today, in our culture today, across the United States, that they need the Savior. They need to know Jesus is the Savior, and they certainly need a biblical worldview because we lack one. From Genesis chapter 6 through 8, we have the flood. Between Genesis chapters 9 through 11, the people spread out. They spread out. They migrate. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, we have the first prophecy that through Abram, the world will be blessed. How, how will the world be blessed through Abram? The world will be blessed because one of his descendants will be Jesus, our Savior. So that's coming That's a preview of coming attractions. However, in our chapter, the people are multiplying and they're multiplying in a depraved world without a savior. Think of what our life would be like without any knowledge of the savior. Not just not knowing him, no knowledge about Jesus at all. Because I would probably think for most of us, even from our earliest years, Before we were saved, we had some knowledge about Jesus, some knowledge about God's plan to redeem the world. That had not come yet. But first, before I continue about that theme, what about these lifespans? These lifespans may be unfathomable to us, but they should not be. Sin had only contaminated creation for several hundred and then several thousand years. At this point, sin had not had its major effect on the genetics of humanity. So that's one reason it seems as though people could live longer. The other thing is, it seems as though that before the flood, the world was different. It was a different world before the flood. But also, as I already shared, the longer sin has its effect in the world 
The longer the depravity has its effect in the world, the longer the curse has its effect in the world, the curse going back to Genesis 3, the more diseases we will have, the more illnesses we will have. And, and, and then as people multiply, the more those diseases and illnesses spread, and that hits the lifespans. But at this point, sin had not had its effect like that. It's interesting, though, because in extra-biblical literature, we have signs of long lifespans. Listen to this. Similar claims of long lifespans are found in the secular literature of several ancient cultures, including the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, Indians, and Chinese. Extra-biblical evidence to support the long lifespans of the people in Genesis is found in the Sumerian king list. The Sumerian king list. The list mentions a flood and gives the length of the reigns of kings before and after a flood. There are many striking parallels between the Sumerian king list and, and, the Genesis, uh, and, and the Genesis account of the flood event. Numerical parallels. Uh, there's numerical parallels between the pre-flood biblical patriarchs and the antediluvial, that means uh, pre-flood kings. And there are substantial, in, in this extra-biblical literature, in the Sumerian king list and things like that, there is also a, a, a substantial decrease in lifespans following the flood. So in the Sumerian king list, in this extra biblical literature, they list a flood. They list long lifespans before the flood and decreasing lifespans after the flood. However, one author on the subject concludes, it is highly unlikely that the biblical account was derived from the Sumerian in view of the differences of the two accounts and the obvious superiority of the Genesis record, both in numerical precision, realism, completion, and moral and spiritual qualities. It is more likely the Sumerian king list was composed using Genesis for numerical information. Obviously, the book of Genesis would only be used if the person writing the list believed it to be a true historical account containing accurate information. Usually, the more detailed and more complicated account is the more accurate account because that stuff would be smoothed out when it was copied. So it seems like the Sumerian king list was actually copied using partially the Genesis account. So it seems to me um, there, are very, there are a variety of explanations of people living longer before the flood. And also, sin had not had its effect so much on disease and illness and things like that, and the world was different, so we take the ages at face value. Also, the people were vegetarians before the flood, and I think likely had a healthier lifestyle. Genesis one twenty nine and Genesis chapter 9, verse 3 seems to indicate they were eating seeds, they were eating vegetables, things like that. Then after the flood, in Genesis 9, God told them they, they, that they could eat of the meat. So considering we have extra biblical evidence of longer lifespans and we have these lifespans in Genesis, I think we take them at face value. Just to repeat that. Reading this genealogy, though, it doesn't read like a myth. It, it isn't, it's not poetic in any way at all. And that's another reason to take it at face value. Further, some of these names in Genesis 5, some of the names in Genesis 5 show up in Jesus' ancestry. Specifically in Luke chapter 3, verses 35 through 38. And that would indicate that tampering with this passage also affects Jesus' ancestry in Luke chapter 3, verses 35 through 38. Now, as I've stated, the world has fallen and the people are longing for a Savior. Now, now let's look at Noah. Read with me Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 through 32. When Lamech had lived 182 years... 
he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Methuselah lives 187 years and fathers Lamech. Now Methuselah will be Noah's grandfather. And then Lamech will be Noah's father. Names meant something back then. And look at the pronouncement with the naming of Noah. They called him Noah saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. It seems to me they were longing for a savior. Names had meaning back then. They longed for a savior. One source shares Lamech's comment on the name Noah, which is Hebrew Noach, which strictly speaking means rest. Noah's name, strictly speaking, means rest. And, and with Lamech's pronouncement, that introduces the related concept of comfort. Lamech expects that Noah will bring both rest and comfort from the painful toil of working the soil. The Moody Bible commentary shares, just as Eve thought the Redeemer had come when her child was born, so it appears that Noah's father thought the same. Noah's father thought that this child would bring rest from the problem of sin. The messianic hope at this point is still imminent. Even in the naming of Eve's children a few chapters earlier, they were looking for the Savior. And now with the naming of Noah at the end of Genesis 5, they're they're looking for the Savior. They're looking for the the Messiah. The first prophecy of the Messiah was way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It is as if they were expecting that Noah might be the Messiah, the Savior, the fulfillment of that Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 prophecy. We see in this chapter that the human race is multiplying, but they are multiplying in a depraved world. They have left paradise, and they need a Savior. Let's make some applications. In Luke 3, 35 through 38, we see some of these names show up in Jesus' genealogy. This shows their significance. We must believe them here or we cannot believe them in Luke 3, 35 through 38. If we do not believe them here, how can we believe them when it comes to Jesus' ancestry? How can we believe them there? God is faithful. We see that the human race continues and we also see the people longing for a savior. They needed to be rescued. We see that in Genesis 5, 28 through 32. They need to be rescued. Do we recognize our need for a savior? Do we recognize our need for a savior? Can you pray with King David in Psalm 51, 12? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of God's salvation. How would our life be without any thought or understanding of the need for a savior? What would that mean for our life? Do we worship the Lord that we know the savior? When you begin your prayer time, hopefully every day, do you worship the Lord that you know him, that he has made himself known and that you know the savior? Do we worship the Lord for revealing himself to us? Are we telling others about the savior? Are we going and telling others about the Savior? This was a day and age without a Savior. But in the naming of Noah, it appears that they longed for a Savior. 
As they've emphasized again and again, America needs the Savior. The most important application of this passage is to go and tell others about Jesus. Imagine never knowing about Jesus. Imagine never knowing about our Savior. More than 5,000, more than 5,000 people groups are without an indigenous Christian church, according to recent data from the Joshua Project. Nearly 2 billion people, more than a quarter of the world's population, live in a group without a self-sustaining gospel movement. More than, get that, let me repeat that again. More than 2 billion, more than a quarter of the world's population live in a group without a self-sustaining gospel movement. The 10 largest unreached people groups are located in Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Turkey, and Algeria. Missiologists say cross-cultural missions are more effective than near-neighbor evangelism to share the gospel with people who have never heard it. But only about 4%, 4% of global missionaries are going to places where there are no existing churches. Two weeks ago, we had a lady, a young lady speaker, Haley Fall, and she shared about her mission and her ministry with navigators at Youngstown State University. And she shared about how a lot of these unreached people groups are coming to the United States for college. And she shared about the amount of unreached people groups at YSU. And she shared about her ministry doing these supper clubs, having dinners with them to build relationships with them and obviously build a friendship and support them and encourage them and strengthen them, but also share the gospel with them. That's one application for this message is maybe you would feel called to help out with that ministry, with the supper clubs. It's something fairly easy that we can do to take part in the mission. There are other things that you can do. Many things that you can do. Share Jesus with others. Let me ask you this. Are you praying evangelically? The first thing that we need to do is pray for the people that we know that do not know the Savior, that God will open their hearts to the Savior. Do we have a prayer list where we are praying for our sphere of influence? Do we have a prayer list where we are praying, Lord, help them to be saved. Help my daughter, my son, my relative, my brother, my sister, my parents, my cousins, my coworkers, my neighbors, help them to know Jesus. No one comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior except that somebody is praying for them. Are you praying for them? And secondly, after you pray for them, are you watching for the Lord to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them? Sometimes it might be just planting seeds. It might be just having a short spiritual conversation and God will bring somebody else to water that seed, you know, and nourish it and help it grow. And maybe you plant the seed and somebody else sees them come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Or maybe somebody else planted the seed and you get to water it. You get to see them have that spiritual birthday and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the first step is, are you praying evangelically? Are you praying at nighttime? Lord, tomorrow, give me opportunities to share the gospel. Tomorrow, give me opportunities to have a God space conversation. Give me opportunities today to, today to have a spiritual conversation. Today, Lord, I'm going to be visiting with so-and-so. I pray that you would open a doorway for a spiritual conversation. People need the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we see in this passage... 
people multiplying by not knowing the Savior. And we see, Lord God, in the naming of Noah, that they wanted a Savior. They wanted rest. They wanted the Messiah. They, they, they had left paradise. They were out of paradise. They needed to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But Jesus had not come yet. And there was only at least one prophecy that we know of in Genesis 3.15. They're waiting for the Messiah. Lord God, I pray that you would restore to us, all of us, the joy of your salvation. May we have such joy of the salvation from above, of the salvation from you. It is your salvation. And may it be something that we just cannot hold in, that we cannot not share. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would think evangelically. We would have an evangelism mindset that you have us as missionaries wherever we go. And Lord God, I pray that you would use us this week to have God-space conversations, to be contagious Christians, to share the gospel with others. People need the Lord. Use us for your glory and your purposes. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day where they accept your free gift of forgiveness of sins, in which they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, in which they believe that you are the one and only Savior, in which they trust in you and commit to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If the Lord has laid anything on your heart, the altars are always open for you to come forward and pray during the closing song.